pharmacist Elizabeth Roddick joins me in the studio to talk about the latest health headlines. And Elizabeth is here to give you the facts behind the latest news stories that might be giving you cause for concern. Hi, Elizabeth. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Very well, thanks. Uh, always busy in the pharmacy, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> As we appreciate the time that you take to come and visit us here uh, in the studio. I really enjoy it. Now, we've got a whole range of things to talk about this week, uh, a real mix uh, of topics. And the first one, uh, aspirin. Aspirin could help beat cancer, apparently. Daily pill cuts odds of dying of uh, breast bill and prostate cancer by a fifth. So what is going on here? We are talking about a dose of 75 milligrams to 300. Remember, Stephen, that 75 milligrams is the one prescribed by your doctor for prevention of further strokes or heart attacks and the 300 milligram is the strength for pain so it's a small dose we're talking about now they looked at studies of people who already had cancer and were taking aspirin and there was a reduction in the risk of colon and prostate cancer but not breast or any other type of cancer so a lot of the papers were incorrect saying that aspirin boosts survival for tumors and kidney esophagus Uh, that's the tube that runs from the throat down to the stomach Researchers didn't prove any effect in in these other tumours. And also an incorrect statement was that researchers looked at one of the side effects of aspirin bleeding. Uh, They didn't do that. It was only a couple of trials out of all the trials they looked at. And of course, if aspirin causes bleeding, then this is a real problem. It's not something we should just rush and take. So I think, I know sometimes the doctor prescribes aspirin if you're taking it as against obviously for uh, heart attacks and strokes. And they give something called omeprazole, and that obviously helps mitigate the the, the effects on the stomach. So that's the reason maybe you're also taking another capsule as well Mm. as as Mm -hmm. the aspirin. But I think what we're seeing is there is a reduction um, in the cancer. There's a greater survival rate if you take aspirin. But we have got the problems of the bleeding. Yeah. And we really have to weigh up that. And it's something, certainly if you were thinking of starting taking aspirin, you must speak to your doctor yeah. about it in case it's just not appropriate. That's the thing really, isn't it? We often see uh, a big splash in the front page of some newspapers. This drug does, this scientist have found. <laughs> but we, we really have to look a bit uh, further than the headline. I think you have to look at the whole person and clearly the medical notes from the doctor's side is, is where you start and, yeah. and have a chat with the doctor. You know, could I try this? And the doctors are used to people coming in with either information from the internet or, or the <laughs> newspapers or they've cut a little bit out of a magazine. We get that as well. And they come in and say, could I take this? Yeah, never mind all those years <laughs> at medical school. I've been on the internet. Yes, that's right. <laughs> or sometimes it's just a friend said, which seemingly is, is one of the biggest draws for people Ah, if your friend has done something or maybe a family member Ah. has taken something and it's worked that's probably one of the never mind as you say the the medical side or or pharmacy uh, never mind our qualifications it's actually well (laughs) you see my my aunt said this yeah she's doing great (laughs) (laughs) so I guess always the message is if you have any queries about um, any types of drugs see your pharmacist see your GP yes Okay, now the next topic uh, is a a real international situation. The US Centre for Disease Control and Prevention has confirmed that the Zika virus, which was in the news a lot over the last couple of months, uh, causes severe birth defects. So this is a confirmation of what was a suspicion before. Exactly, Stephen. It was was always thought that there could be a link between the virus and microcephaly. Now that's where the baby's brain doesn't develop 
and and they, they, they end up with a very small head, an abnormally small head. And this was a summary published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it's, and it's known to be spread by infected mosquitoes. But there is a small risk also because of the spread through sexual intercourse. Now, scientists, in order to come to this conclusion, it was quite interesting. They have to ask four or five questions, and I thought it'd be interesting to find out what they did. And first of all, where uh, were women at a certain stage of the pregnancy for this defect to happen? Uh, are there at least two studies that show an association? For example, is the birth defect distinguishable? Certainly it is. Is the Zika virus and the birth defect rare? Yes, it is. The answer to all of these questions is affirmative, and it's why the authorities have now come forward to say that there is a definite link. There was always a suspicion, but they're now saying there is a link. I think there's a real public health message here. Uh, don't travel to affected areas if you're pregnant or trying for a baby. And, and if anyone has travelled to an area posing a risk and, and they've had a fever while they're there, they must go to their GP. And that's really for anyone coming back from a foreign country. Uh, Stephen, you know, if you do develop symptoms when you come back, please go to your GP. It's really important. And obviously, if you, if you have a sexual relationship with someone who's experienced that, then clearly you need to use precautions. And I was looking to see how long. I mean, you shouldn't really be perhaps thinking of becoming pregnant, say, for six months, if you've actually had really the, the that virus. Really yes. But um, if, if there's been no clearly, clear signs of any symptoms or anything, then I think you have to use precaution for about 28 days. But, mm -hmm. but please find, uh, you know, get, get the absolute <laughs> correct confirmation for that. Uh, but that's roughly what, what's being said at the moment in medical circles. It's just 100 days to go until the Olympics this year which is in Brazil and that was one of the countries that really um, centred around the, the Zika virus. I guess for anyone travelling there um, or in South America you'd really want to take that advice. Yeah, I think it, in order to um, avoid being bitten clearly that that's the usual use DEET um, cover up uh, sensibly um, don't expose areas in the evening and that sort of thing. So generally don't get bitten but uh, I, I would think for somebody who is either pregnant or wanting to become pregnant it's not a good idea to mm. travel to these countries and you know, there's a lot of advice available if you have to travel so please get that advice yeah. check with your, your doctor and your pharmacist again okay <laughs> <laughs> now back in the UK apparently dementia rates have fallen as men behave themselves. Are <laughs> men behaving themselves? I doubt it. <laughs> well, this was interesting. Researchers from Newcastle and Cambridge universities used, it was a historical study, uh, 7,000 people aged between 65 between 1989 and 1994 compared the same questions and answers with a similar number between 2008-2011 and the participants were assessed for dementia and then two years later what they were looking for was the number of new cases per thousand people what they wanted to check was was had there been a change over over that 20 years and overall the rates of dementia dropped um, 20 cases per thousand people in the 1990s to 17 cases in the more recent study but it was the men that were most surprising they they almost halved for the over 85 71 in a thousand to 38 in a thousand women declined a little but women aged 80 to 84 the rates of dementia rose again so it was the men that did very well. The good news is that the fear of this huge 
numbers of people getting dementia in the future. We, we always hear about that. That might not be correct, so that's encouraging. But it does seem to be related to countries where health has improved. And the headline suggests that there's a dramatic decrease in men's incidence due to less smoking, more exercise, leading healthier lives. But that really hasn't been proved. We really don't know why, yeah. but it is surprising. I think there was some research some time ago, Stephen, where it suggested that if you wanted to live longer as a woman, don't get married. If you wanted to live longer as a man, then do get married. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that research came from, but it was interesting. <laughs> that is interesting research, but it doesn't quite work out for both parties at the same time. Then. <laughs> <laughs> so someone has to compromise somewhere along the line. That's right. <laughs> uh, when it comes to dementia, Elizabeth, I mean, it's really all about the brain, isn't it? And we, we don't quite know how to keep our... Well, we do know in some respects, but it, it's there's a lot of research still being done into dementia uh, and how we can preserve our brains as much as possible, as long as possible. I think one of the things is to remain active and to try new things as, as we get older. I mean, people who retire, maybe being in very pressurised jobs and they retire, they wonder what to do. One of the things to do is do as many activities as possible and become as social as possible. I think that's also very important because loneliness has an effect uh, in terms of depression and dementia. So I think it's just get out there and, and try something new. Yeah, keep moving. Now, uh, another topic for this week, um, ditching butter for vegetable oil may not be better for the heart. And this was a US study, uh, Stephen, from 68 to 1973, and they wanted to see if they replaced saturated fat with vegetable oil, and this was a rich linoleic acid for the vegetable oil, and whether that would in, uh, decrease heart attacks or even death. And there were just over, under 10,000 people in nursing homes and psychiatric hospitals, and half of them ate a low uh, diet, saturated fat and high in linoleic acid and, and another control one had the same amount of saturated fat but with an increased amount of the vegetable oil that was margarine and butter and lard. The intervention uh, diet used liquid corn oil which decreased the amount of saturated fat and that was decreased from about 18% to 9.2 so it was about half half of the calories and the diet lasted 460 days which is interesting and in this sort of research you have to take account of cholesterol levels age sex weight height as well as blood pressure and whether they stuck to the diet which is really important they found overall that the low saturated fat did not reduce the risk of death compared to the control and may even have increased the death in over 65 wow. so lowering cholesterol with this low-fat diet didn't decrease heart and disease or death and there's lots of questions about the research for example uh, in over 65s could, could there have been other reasons for their death clearly there could have not just the food they ate um, and so if we look at government guidelines uh, what they suggest is a man shouldn't eat more than 30 grams of saturated fat in a day and a woman 20 grams and there are new guidelines coming out in 2017 so what we mean by saturated fats even butter, cakes, all of the, all all of the these things, stuff. biscuits, fatty meat, sausages, bacon, all of these things. So what we're saying is don't take too much of that. Yeah. There's been a lot about butter uh, in the recent uh, past, Elizabeth. I remember seeing a, a Time magazine article where it had butter on the front page. <laughs> and it was about this type of thing, you know, whether it was uh, something that we should be more concerned about. And that was hinting at maybe not, maybe that 
with some of the advice we've had about butter over the last few years hasn't been quite I so think, accurate. I think you're right, Stephen. I think there was a mass change due to public health messages coming out to change from the likes of butter to margarine. And now coming back at this stage, we're saying, no, that's probably been incorrect advice. And I always think, you know, you look at perhaps your older generation people who would go, this is this is nonsense. And you say, no, no, it isn't. It must be research that's correct. But in fact, I think the, the basic thing is have a balanced diet. Yeah. And, and please include butter if you want to. Yeah. A little bit of everything now and again. Yeah. I think or it's for it's me, off. just everything. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, our next topic, uh, anorexia could be contagious in girls' schools. This sounds very concerning. Yeah, researchers looked at it. It was children who lived in Stockholm in Sweden, um, 2001 to 2011, and specific school types such as all-girls schools and the proportion of the girls who came from highly educated backgrounds, and that was also important. And if children have educated patients, then there is an increased risk in this study of their children developing eating disorders. Out of 55,000 girls, there were 2.4% of them with eating disorders. And the chances of getting an eating disorder were lower than average, where the girls made up about only 25% of the school, 25% of parents going to higher education. It was about 1.3%. Now, the risk was higher where it was 75% girls and 75% higher education, it was 3.3%. Now, the researchers think that the expectation of the parents and the schools for the pupils to do well means there's a greater link, uh, a later problem with students having eating disorders. Uh, and, of course, parents with higher education, they're more likely to spot the problem, perhaps bring it forward so it'll be diagnosed earlier, and they'll also seek help earlier. Uh, we can't really say from this if, if there is a, a problem from the research, but we do know that pressure on pupils from whatever it means that you know it does affect the health of children and normally what we hear about is bullying mm. uh, rather than do well at school and the pressure that's producing i could imagine in certain circumstances that peer pressure could play a, a large part in a study like that and those types of results yeah yeah you're absolutely right i mean I went to an all-girls school and you were just expected to do well. Yeah. And there was a lot of pressure and, and your teachers expected it, your parents. And so I can see why possibly it could produce health problems. Yeah, I I, I guess that's one thing as well. The, the pressure uh, might not be um, the case, but there might be a, a preconception of pressure from parents that might en encourage um, a certain type of behaviour amongst uh, a group of girls in that situation? Yeah, I, th I think you're right. Stephen, we, we don't have enough studies to look at this, yeah. but I think that that's an interesting one and we can obviously look at that and see if, if we can mitigate that sort of problem from our all-girls schools or all-boys school. Maybe it's tended to be the girls' school we're looking at. So I think you're absolutely right. Let's try and make sure it's a happy existence at yeah, school absolutely. and not too pressurised. Yeah, and without even thinking about social media and all the comparisons that young people will be making with themselves these days, posting lots of pictures and um, making out that their life's great when they're perhaps not so happy as well. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of modern pressures. 
Now, our final topic for today, uh, Elizabeth, is interesting. <laughs> transformational managers may be bad for workplace health. What is a transformational well, manager? I'm looking over at you there, Stephen. <laughs> Are you a transformational manager? Not at all. <laughs> yeah, it was researchers from East Anglia and Denmark, and they followed uh, 155 Danish postal workers, and these were men, mainly 42, a uh, period of three years, and they were wanting to find out if these transformational leadership people were, whether this was bad for um, employees' health. Uh, yes, and I'll explain what that means. Uh, the leader, as you would expect, sets an example of desirable behaviour. So look what I'm doing, please do the same as I do. And, and they point a clear picture of the vision. So they give a clear vision to their employees and they encourage staff to make uh, best use of their skills, ask them to make their own decisions, give them a bit of responsibility. And they also look at each person as an individual and they would tailor their interaction depending on the needs of the employee. I think this sounds great, <laughs> but we know that leaders play a role in absenteeism, uh, but it's never been linked with this type of leadership before. And employees were asked how many sick days they had in a year and, and the type of leadership in sick days in a year. But it happened in year two, funnily enough, in the study, but not year three. There was an increase in the number of sick days. And it was the constant pressure to do well. Mm. It sounds a bit like the last study we looked at. Uh, so the researchers suggested, as well as encouraging the skills of the workers, leaders should teach coping skills yeah. and, and how to remain resilient. Uh, they thought the employees tended to soldier on even if they were sick. You know, I must go in because my yeah. my employer expects me to do that. And so that what we're saying is there may be a, a negative side from this real transformational leadership style. Uh, but we certainly need more studies to give us an idea. <laughs> it sounds like me that the, the type of manager they would be referring to would be somebody that would be like, yeah, I'm so optimistic, let's do this! <laughs> and be, re be really up for it all the time. Never has a sick day, you know, can conquer anything, and employees are trying to compete with that in a way, but it's not quite working out. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. It's... It's a very difficult situation. There's got to be a balance there. Yeah, a bit of realism doesn't hurt <laughs> now and again. And oh, there's nothing worse, Elizabeth, when, when someone comes into work that really shouldn't be there when they're sick and then makes everybody else sick. <laughs> never you quite done that? that out. Have you no, done that? No, no. no. I'll, I'll take the sick day. <laughs> Some really interesting topics this week, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for taking us through those. If anyone would like to know more about you or get in touch with you, how can they? Well, there's a website newlifepharmacy.co.uk also a phone number 01416376000 Elizabeth thank you once again and we'll talk to you in a fortnight thanks very much Stephen <laughs>